to see you this morning. Um, and um, I'm speaking today about joy beyond ourselves. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word joy, something inside of me rises up and I shout, yes, Lord, please, more of that. So that's what we're looking for today, to finding out how we can receive more joy for every day. I wonder what brings you joy. Perhaps it's a special occasion what we've just had. The baby dedication is a joyous event. Maybe it's your team winning a game. Um, maybe it's walking in the countryside, going on holiday. Maybe it's your children behaving themselves occasionally. Maybe it's an empty email box and not having any work to do. There's lots of things that can bring us joy. Joy can be defined as a feeling, a great pleasure and happiness. In our world, joy and happiness are often confused. And we feel that we need to be happy in order to experience joy. We can become a little bit obsessed with feeling happy. And, you know, in our, in our nation, we have surveys and polls carried out to try and establish the happiest areas of the UK. Now, I wonder, did you know the top five happiest towns in the east of England, where we live, are, according to a poll in 2021, they were Hitchin, Woodbridge, St Albans, Leon C and Bury St Edmunds. I wonder, could you put your hand up if you've ever been to one of those places? Could you keep your hand up if you felt happier having been to that place? <laughs> oh dear, right. I was going to recommend perhaps you visited to see if you... No, but maybe not. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's so interesting about these kind of different polls that are carried out is they're often taken on external circumstances, external factors in people's lives. And that's how they gauge how happy people are. In Philippians 2, Paul sets out the way that we experience true joy. And rather than it being governed by our external circumstances, he puts forward that it's something that starts on the inside and it works its way out to our external circumstances. He was sharing last week with us about Paul and Silas and others in the Bible who have suffering, they were suffering in the name of Christ. And yet they were singing songs of joy and praise in the midst of their suffering. Incredible. This kind of joy is on a different level to what the world considers to bring joy. A wise person once said, joy is of the soul. Happiness is of the moment. We're going to have a look at Philippians 2 together. Um, and I wonder if you could open up to that in your Bibles, perhaps on your phone app. Um, we're going to start by looking at verses 1 to 4. And then we're going to think about those verses and then come back and look further into the chapter. So let's read together, first of all, let's have a look together at verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Right from the start of the chapter, Paul takes us back to the basics of our faith. He's reminding the Philippian church and us as believers that we need to remember that we are united with Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, our debts are cancelled through his death on the cross. And we're given a new name, that is child of God. 
We're adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us and we receive all the many blessings and privileges of being heirs and children of the King. Amazing. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. Union with Christ is the center of our salvation and our sanctification. That is being conformed to become more and more like Jesus. And it's central to all of our deepest joys in this life. God's desire is that we would cultivate an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this will include experiencing more of his joy. So Paul is saying, come on guys, surely you have been encouraged by God's presence in your life. Surely you have experienced his comfort. So we should rejoice. We should be a joyful people because of all that Jesus has accomplished. We sang earlier, we have received God's forgiveness and embrace. We've received his forgiveness and embrace. That's amazing. Embraced by our Heavenly Father because of Jesus' sacrifice. I wonder, are you encouraged and joyful about what Christ has done for you and the Holy Spirit's presence in your life day by day? People around us should actually see something different in us. They should see something different on our faces. They should see something different in the way that we live because we were once lost, but we've now been found. We were once dead, but we're now alive. Let's never lose the wonder, but let's keep rejoicing in being in relationship with Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 is all about maturing in our faith and in joy. We don't all like to be mature, do we, at times? Very practically, Paul is firstly saying, continue to grow in your relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. Then, as his people, the church, choose to imitate him, look like him, act like him, and choose joy. We may seek and desire and pursue happiness in this life, but joy is a choice we make. Joy is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we find it, it's infused with comfort and peace. It's an attitude coming out from the heart. In verse 2, Paul says, make my joy complete. In the message version, it says, do me a favor. In other words, come on, people of God, wake up, get a grip. Don't live in a way that will rob you from receiving joy, but be like-minded with one another. Love each other and be one in spirit and purpose. All of these things will bring you joy. So let's have a look at some things that can steal our joy. Joy killers. So there's a number of cultural trends that are on the rise in our society today. The list is very, fairly lengthy and I could add lots more, but I've just thought of four things. Firstly, a preoccupation with self. Secondly, being above the rules. Thirdly, an inability to take criticism. And fourthly, a refusal to take responsibility. We have become a very self-focused society. When things don't go our way, we're quick to anger and we're slow to forgive others. But actually, the problem is, by putting ourselves first, where we think we're going to have joy and happiness through that, our society 
to become more anxious and depressed than ever before. I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and Steph Liston, who is one of the apostles in our Relational Mission Network, was talking about the effects that the coronavirus pandemic has had on the UK. He said that many people have suffered trauma because of it, and, and that's right. They may have had illness themselves, they may have lost loved ones, there may have been intense loneliness. But as he was speaking, it got me thinking. The pandemic has also made many of us more self-focused. We were instructed by the government at a given point to isolate and to stay at home. And a high percentage of the population were able to stay at home and work from home. I know obviously there were others that were going out to work. But many of us were able to stay at home. And one of the effects of this is that we became very comfortable in doing our own thing because we had permission to do it. But now we are back to some kind of normality. The challenge is that we need to be looking outwards and not all about ourselves. Sometimes it's a lot of effort, you know, isn't it? To change our schedule and to allow others in or to give time to others. We want to put ourselves first. It's more comfortable, it's nice. But Paul says we have to fight against the natural instinct of looking after ourselves and we need to live our lives with an outward focus towards others. In verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition can be understood as a motivation to elevate oneself or to put one's own interests above another's. Vain conceit is about excessive pride. In other words, my way is the right way and the only way. You know what? This is uncomfortable and challenging stuff. Do nothing in this way. Do nothing. If I asked any one of you to stand up and say, yes, I'm fulfilling Paul's command, I don't think many of us could. You know what? I am selfish and I'm full of vain conceit at times, so I'm sorry, guys. You are too. As soon as we start interacting with other people, this is a challenge because we've got to look out for others. When was the last time that you stopped and thought about whether your actions or your words were putting others before yourself or before your preferences. So all of us have very different circumstances we can think about. I wonder if you think about your everyday circumstance now. I thought I'd be very brave and open and share a bit about Al and I. Um, I have kind of warned him. Um, So when Al and I got married, nearly 25 years ago, my goodness, I need a medal. Um, No, I'm joking, Al, I'm joking. Nearly 25 years ago, we got married, and we decided it would be a very good thing, as we were both working, to divide up the jobs in our house, to share them out equally, very equally. The problem was, at times, was that when one person was tired or not well or whatever, it was um, slightly challenging to then actually have to do a bit extra, because I have my jobs. Why should I have to do your job? I'm being honest. It happened. It does happen. And so if we, as you can imagine, we had that kind of thing in place, and then when the children come along, well, that just makes it, takes it all onto another level of being selfless. Um, and we got into quite a routine, and this is probably why we only have two children, quite a routine of sharing out the nappies. No, it's your turn to do the nappy. No, it's your turn to do the nappy. And this got quite tricky at times when, um, you know, I had to take Callum in his 
buggy up to our school to get him to change his nappy during the day. I'm joking, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. <laughs> but think about your circumstance. Think about your circumstance. Where are you being a little bit selfish at times with the people that you are mixing with? And as for vain conceit, well, we, our way, we think our way is the best, don't we? So, I mean, the toothpaste. Come on, it has to be squeezed from the bottom of the tube, doesn't it? You don't squeeze it in the middle, like my husband might do. You don't do that. And who's to say that there were different ways of hanging up washing? You know what? We can we laugh at it, but we can get really petty at times. We can get really petty with one another. And we don't put the other person first, and we think that our way is best. Sometimes if we look at the state of our hearts and our attitudes, on occasions we realize that it's natural to be selfish and self-centered. But the challenge is that God doesn't want us to live a natural life. He wants to live us to live a supernatural life where we act in humility towards one another, considering one another better than ourselves. In God's kingdom, this is how we receive true joy. The good news is we don't have to do this on our own. As I said, it's natural to be selfish, everyone, but we're living in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, and he's the one that can be our helper every day with all the different challenges that we have. So let's have a look a little bit further about how our attitudes should be shaped. We're going to read from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, imitating Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before I move on, as I was reading this section of the scripture, it just made, it really made me think, you know what, this is a really good time to pause and have communion together. I'm going to invite Kirsty and Andy up, please, who are going to pray in a moment. So if you'd like to just take your little cups. Just going to do that in a moment if you want to get those ready. As Hugh said earlier, if you know and love Jesus, this is a special celebration that we take part in. And if you are not in that place yet, we just ask you respectfully to not take this, um, but to maybe ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, who he is and what he has done for you. Let's just look at those verses again. Who being in very nature God, this is who Jesus was and is. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. What humility. Taking the nature of a servant, coming from heaven to this earth, and made himself nothing. 
He was found in appearance as a man and humbled himself. As Jesus walked on this earth, he lived a life of humility towards other, others, and he had such a servant heart of serving people and loving them and caring for them. And that humility took him to the cross. The joy of serving God and being obedient to him and his redemption plan took Jesus to the cross. He could have said, no, I'm not doing that. He could have got all the power from heaven and changed all the, all the situation. He chose not to do that. He did this for us so that we could ha- be washed clean and have all our sins forgiven. Incredible. So let's just focus on that. I'm going to ask um, Kirsty to pray, and she's going to pray and thank God for, thank Jesus for his body. And then we're going to take the little wafer together. And then Andy's going to pray afterwards, and we'll take the juice afterwards. Thank you. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you that despite what the world offers us, you are the only one who offers us true freedom. You are the only one who went to the cross willingly. It cost you so much. You asked if there was any other way that you could do it a different way, and then straight away said, but God, your will, not mine. And you did that, Lord, for us, so that when God looks at us, he looks at us through the filter of your righteousness. He doesn't see us in our shame and our sin anymore. He sees that he chooses to look at us through your righteousness. And, and the result of that, Lord, was that our eternal destiny changed. We no longer face eternal separation from you, but we face eternal, we have eternity with you. We can't thank you enough for that. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving your body so that we could be with you forever. Amen. Lord, we've been reminded as we've worshipped you this morning that you are the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, and that, Lord, you shed your blood for us as the final and ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, I'm reminded that as your blood ran red, so our sins wash white, and we are completely forgiven. So, Jesus, we thank you this morning for this blood, for the freedom that it's brought us, for the relationship that it's brought us. And Lord, while we do this respectfully and with reverence and with thanksgiving, we also celebrate that you are coming again. We thank you for that hope that we've got as your children. Amen. Let's take the wine together. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus humbled himself and chose to go to the cross for the joy set before him of fulfilling his father's plan of redemption. Living with a big servant heart, as Jesus did in this world, goes against our culture at times. 
And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us live like Jesus and to not grow weary of doing good for others. There's no doubt that this can be costly at times, especially when we're going through really difficult times and we get all consumed with what's going on in our lives because it's really tough, really, really tough. We don't belittle that. But we look at Jesus' example and we look at Paul's example of going through such difficult times. And yet, he instructs us to look out for others and to serve and to love others. It will do us good. So let's look at some practical ways. It's always good to have something when you come away from a service that's practical that you can do. We're going to look at some practical ways to develop a servant heart. Firstly, make Jesus the center of your life and not yourself. We heard earlier that actually making yourself the center isn't necessarily working very well for people. Jesus needs to be the source. It's not about us running around 90% of the time doing our own thing, and then when things go wrong, oh Jesus, please help. It's not about that. We need to commit every area of our lives to God. We sing a song that has the line in it, I surrender all. I know that at times if, when I've sung that song, I've sung that song when I've had a situation, I think it was a, a work situation, and I had to surrender a job that I really wanted. I'm sure there'll be other things in your lives as well. When you actually sing, I surrender all, it, you count the cost of it. I remember crying, saying, I surrender all, Lord. As we commit every, our area of, of life to God, we're saying, in my relationships, let your kingdom come, and your will be done, Lord. With my money, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In my job, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In my marriage, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In my family life, let your kingdom come and your will be done. At university, let your kingdom come and your will be done. You get the idea, there's more things we could add to the list. So let's have soft hearts that are willing to go all out for God. Hearts that long to be more like his, which empowered by the Holy Spirit help us to live humble, selfless lifestyles. Take a moment to think about the areas of your life that need to be completely surrendered to God. Ask him by his spirit to reveal any areas that he needs to work on. Secondly, a practical way of being servant-hearted is to take a genuine interest in others. Now, this isn't a reading someone's life about someone's life on Facebook kind of interest, but instead it's a caring for people with words and actions kind of interest. You know, someone this morning who's going through a difficult time took the time to message me and say that they were praying for me before I was speaking. That meant a lot, because I know they're going through a really difficult time. So that was... I know it was words, but it was action in a sense as well, and, and it really blessed me. So think about the spheres, the areas of your influence. People close to you, you know, start showing love and servant-heartedness in your homes first of all. I don't know whether that can be the most challenging. Being more patient with one another, being willing to give each other a bit more time, listening to one another, taking on other people's jobs. Or it could be another area, it could be your place of work, your city, university, your sports clubs, the school playground, 
where you are every day, day-to-day life, how can you serve and love others more? Someone once said, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. It's been about taking action empowered by the Spirit. As we bless others, we'll experience a blessing and experience a joy as we honour God's way of living our lives. Thirdly, look for opportunities to serve. We're so blessed in this church that so many people serve. There's been lots of people wearing t-shirts around, worship team, people out there with our kids right now. We're so blessed by those that are willing to serve. So whether it's in church life, whether it's in your community, whether it's going to your neighbor, how can you serve and love others more? Another area that we can develop a servant heart is in developing good relationships with fellow believers. It's important that we establish relationships where we are accountable to one another. We have discipleship going on in this church. We have people praying together. And it's just a chance to say, do you know what? I think this isn't quite right. That's uncomfortable and we have to be vulnerable. But actually it's really precious because it's helping us to avoid walking on the path of selfishness where we challenge one another. Come on. Is this what Jesus wants for your life? Is this what the Bible is saying? In verses 9 to 11 of Philippians 2, Paul points out the amazing end story of Jesus' humility and servant-heartedness. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Phil Moore, in his Straight to the Heart series, challenges us from these verses about humility, and he writes this. Will we treat humility as a dirty word and therefore refuse the benefits of traveling the way of the cross? Or will we get dirty with Jesus and therefore allow God to promote us as those who refuse to promote ourselves? Will we make this song our own because we live in Jesus and he lives in us? If we do, as churches, then our cities will see that humility is not a dirty word. They will be convicted that we are beautiful outposts of heaven. That's what we want for Redeemer, isn't it? We want to be a beautiful outpost of heaven that people are drawn to and they say, Jesus is in that place. Jesus is there and we're seeing something of his kingdom because of the way people are living and treating one another and caring for one another. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18, we're going to look at now, shining as stars, or another subheading is do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I wonder if there's anyone in here who likes to watch reality TV. Who's willing to actually admit it? Alice, thank you, Alice, and thank you, Esther. Great. Okay, we've got some honest people in the room. Couple, anyway. Great. I'm joking. So it would seem that in this day and age, um, people do anything to become stars, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. 
All of these means of social media allow people to promote themselves and to gain recognition and fame. In God's kingdom, we are all about promoting Jesus and recognizing that without him, we can do nothing. We can't make ourselves humble in order to submit ourselves and show humility towards others. It needs to start with hearts that are submitted to God first, as I've already talked about. It's about, Lord, take my life and make me more like Jesus. Show me how to love people around me as you love. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts who works in us to make us more like Jesus. But we need to work with him in order to change, see change come about in our lives. Paul instructs us to do everything without complaining or arguing so that we may become blameless and pure. This is a big ask because many of us like to argue and grumble and complain. We're quite good at it. Think of the Israelites in the desert roaming around and grumbling about their circumstances. But we are called to imitate, imitate the humble lifestyle of Jesus and not the grumble lifestyle of the Israelites. How do we do that? Well, by counting the cost and dying to self on a daily basis. This is uncomfortable stuff. It's challenging. But as God changes us to love in the way that he intended, he promises us that we will, he will make us shine like bright stars amidst the darkness of our dark world. Wow. Stars are so bright that they can be seen from millions of miles away. And in the same way, humility is so rare that it has a dramatic impact as well. Are there areas of your life where God wants you to be more humble and put others before yourselves? How would that humility look in your everyday life? Think about that. The world grants stardom to people based on their gifting or ambition, but God looks for stars who shine brightly because of their godly character, which shines through them as they share the word of life. The gospel is what we want to share with others around us. And we can do that through being humble. We are called to be humble like Jesus, to be obedient like Jesus, and joyful like Jesus in serving others. You may have heard the story of Jim Elliot. He was an American Christian missionary who went to share the gospel with a tribe of Indians in Ecuador. And they murdered him in cold blood. His widow Elizabeth was forced to put Philippians 2 into practice. She refused to blame God for her husband's death, and she inspired millions through her example of humble obedience. She explained her secret in words which sound very much like those of Paul. She said this, The world looks for happiness through self-assertion. The Christian knows that joy is found in self-abandonment. If a man will let himself be lost for my sake, Jesus said, he will find his true self. So, let's just have a summary, really, of what we've been looking at today. Now, I know that Hugh likes alliteration. I think I've got an acrostic. I think that's what it's called. Um, on the next slide, there we go. Um, so, I have an acrostic. I don't know if it's as good as alliteration. I need to maybe need to work on it, Hugh, don't I? I don't know. Okay. So, let's look at this word, joy. Joy. We need to put Jesus first in our lives. He is our source. We need to rejoice in all that Christ has done and is doing in our lives. Ask the Holy Spirit 
to help you surrender every area of your life, as we talked about earlier, to Jesus' rule and reign. And let him be in charge. Seek to imitate his humility. Oh, others, second. As God's family, the church, let's be united and let's love one another. Think of ways that you can show more of a servant heart in your everyday life, whether at home, in church, wherever you are. Ask people how they're doing. Take an interest. And ask God to give you opportunities to bless people around you through serving them. And finally, yourself last. We have to come daily before God in repentance for acting in selfish ways or putting others' needs above our own. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to die to our own selfish ambitions and to find joy in putting others above ourselves. You know what? Then we will shine like stars in our dark world and we will be beautiful outposts of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you (laughs) that it's challenging, but we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to help us. Lord, we need your help in this area. Help us, Lord Jesus, to always put you first in our lives, to keep keep you as our focus and our source. Help us, Lord, to seek to look out for others and love them well and serve them well as you set the example and as Paul set the example to. And help us, Lord, daily to come before you and confess where we've made mistakes, where we've put ourselves first, where there's vain conceit. Lord, would you work in our lives because we want to become more like Jesus. We want to be beautiful outposts of heaven to people around us. Thank you, Father. Let's celebrate now the joy.